Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I really want your attention. No, really. I mean, I've been thinking about for days, literally days, thinking about how I could start this message so I could get your attention. I thought about telling you stories about ways that youth pastors have figured out to get attention from you know, high schoolers and middle schoolers and their messages. There's a lot of crazy things we've done over the years to get young people's attention. I, I thought about telling you the things my wife has tried to do to get my attention when I'm watching sports or on my phone. Equally impressive and creative. Um, and then maybe my favorite, I thought about telling you about all of the things I've seen middle school boys do to try and get attention from the people they're interested in. And so I would say that could be its own docu-series, uh, really to see that. Um, and I think maybe why I was taking this opening part so seriously to get your attention is that your attention is valuable. It's really valuable. In fact, it, last year alone in the United States, $240 billion were spent in marketing uh, costs just to get your attention. Your attention is very valuable because we all know that at some level, attention leads to action. If you see that ad, it leads, it creates a desire in you, something you now need that you never needed before. Attention is really the starting point of many important things that happen in our life. And that's why every app that you open has been meticulously designed to keep your attention and maybe even get a little bit of your money. And every ad that you watch is designed to spark desire in you. It's all about your attention. And so I wonder today, how does God get your attention when he needs to? I believe that there's so many ways that God can get your attention, that God can, as some of you have pointed out to me, slap you over the head if he needs to, that God speaks to us in the subtle moments. There's the moments where you're reading his word or you're here on a Sunday morning and Pastor Joe says that one phrase that messes with you the whole rest of the week in the best possible way, that God can get your attention maybe in the darker moments of life, the moments that you didn't plan for, you didn't want, and yet somehow in those moments you heard God very clearly, God was with you. I think God has so many different ways to get our attention, but I believe every once in a while, God does something that he doesn't do very often, and that is that God will get our attention in one way. He turns some tables. You know, ever since Jesus ascended to be with the Father. Jesus, we believe, is God, that he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, he spent a little bit of time here on earth, but then he ascended to be with the Father. And from the time that Jesus rose again to the time he comes again, we are living in a time of human history known as the last days. You may not know that, but for the last 2,000 years, this epoch of human history has been the last days that until Jesus comes again, that is the last day, but there are the last days that we are currently living in. And I know it doesn't always feel that way because every day like we've been through before has kind of been like ones that were before it. And so it lulls us into thinking that every day that comes again will come like the ones that came before. And this is why so many of us, if we're honest, we spend a lot more time on our phone than we'd like to admit. And we end up scrolling social media to the point where we're looking at the exact same things that we already looked at 20 minutes ago, but it's just our habit. We pull out our phone, we open the app, 
And some of us, we get mad at the same political characters over and over. And sure, maybe it's a new face, new name, but it's the same story. And we kind of find ourselves lulled into this way of thinking that life will go on as it always has. But it's only when we realize that we are living in the last days that we can live with a sense of urgency. And this is really what every person who's ever played sports knows, that when you get to the ninth inning, when you get to the fourth quarter, there's a special focus that it requires of you. I don't know why it is. It's not like you weren't trying harder before earlier in the game, but there's something that the fourth quarter, the final moments of any game, it does to bring your attention and your focus to a razor sharp focus. And so I believe that God is calling us to view our lives through the lens of the last days and to live our lives and to enter our prayer lives and our, our discipleship through the lens of an urgency. And so I believe today that Jesus wants to turn some tables. Now, I wanna take you to a moment in Jesus' life that is very unlike what we come to expect of Jesus, especially the newer you are to Jesus. Maybe the more you've seen Jesus and interacted with Jesus, you're maybe not surprised by this, but for especially for those of us who are newer to this whole concept of Jesus, this would definitely be a surprising thing because I think oftentimes when we think of Jesus, we think of someone who's very serene and he probably talks like this all the time. <laughs> but Jesus, even though he's made it very clear that he was God who has always existed, Jesus was the son of God, but he also became the son of man. He took on human form. He became fully human except without sin. But Jesus, when he became fully human, he took on all the emotions of humanity. That means that Jesus actually laughed and told jokes and Jesus cried. We see this in the gospels. But there's also a moment where Jesus was angry and Jesus was passionate. And he breaks the mold of the spiritually savant robot that we assume him to be. And I wanna read you this story because this is a beautiful story. It's recorded in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 followers, disciples. And he recounts this story in Matthew chapter 21. We're gonna read it. It says, then Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all those who were selling and buying in the temple courts. And he turned over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He turned over the tables and he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are turning it into a den of robbers. This is so much more tame to just read, but if you were actually in this moment and you saw Jesus going into a church and literally flipping tables and driving out people, one gospel writer even said that he had a whip. You know, he starts whipping things and he's, he's just going into a place of passion that we're not used to seeing from somebody in normal everyday occurrences. And if you're anything like me, you're like, Jesus, did you overreact a little bit here? Like, was this a little bit escalating? Like, did you have to take it there? And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in situations with people where things just escalated really quickly. You know, it's like, this happens all the times with young guys, like in their late teens, early twenties, where there's a lot of trash talk that goes on and there's a lot of kind of back and forth. And eventually it's all fun and games until it's not, right? Like it's all fun and games until one guy just crosses the line. You know, it's like, hey, nice sweater, man. And he's like, oh, your mom wears a sweater. He's like, oh, I'm gonna kill you. You know, like that's just, it's sometimes it's just how it works. It's like, they just go and do go and go and it's all good until it's not good. And, and so we kind of wonder like, why did this situation escalate? Jesus, why were you so upset? Why were you so passionate about this? And I love what the disciples looked back on this moment years later when John wrote his gospel. 
He looks back on this moment of Jesus and this is how he reflects on it. Check it out. This is what it says. It says, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. The reason Jesus was willing to turn some tables is because there was a passion on the inside of him for God and for God's people connecting with God. Jesus was so consumed with this idea that this place of sacredness should be a place where people can enter into holy communion with God. And Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that this space stayed sacred. And I wanna give you just a little bit of context. I wanna give you just a little bit of uh, background as to why this may have even taken on an additional importance. And for those of you who are about to go back to school, some of you took a solemn pledge to never recite or learn about any history while you're not in school hours. And I will not make you break that pledge. I'm just gonna make this real quick for you, okay? But back in the first century, the Jews were under Roman occupation. And the, the king of that area was named King Herod the Great. And uh, Herod the Great was known for many things, but one of his biggest things that he did was a 46-year project. It was a build-out of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Now, it was already built back in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, but uh, King Herod the Great added on a few different things. It took 46 years, half a century, to get this done. And one of the areas that King Herod built into this temple was a place called the Gentiles' Court. And the Gentiles' court was really a place for Gentiles to come because for the Jewish people at that time, Gentiles were not allowed into the temple. And so it was a sacred space where Gentiles weren't allowed. So Herod the Great builds this Gentiles' court. And this is most likely where they're buying and selling and, and doing all these things that Jesus walks into. And beyond the Gentiles' court was where the Jewish people could go. That was into the greater places of the temple. And at the edge of the Gentiles' court, between the Gentiles' court and the Jewish temple, there was this sign that was written. And here's what it said. It said, keep out for the sake of all that is holy. In other words, when you're in the Gentiles' court, not holy. But the moment you cross this line, you enter into the holy space. And here's just a theory that I have as to why Jesus was so upset when he walked into the Gentiles' court and started turning tables. Because he viewed people that thought, this area is holy, but this area is not. And I think that Jesus was willing to turn some tables to challenge the assumption that the areas that we assume have nothing to do with God, I think Jesus was trying to show us they have everything to do with God. And we have a, a secular and sacred divide, but I believe that God does not see a difference between the secular and the sacred. They are both holy to him, Amen. that they both matter to him. Yeah. And this is what I believe Jesus is willing to turn some tables to get your attention with today that those areas of your life that you think have nothing to do with God, they actually have everything to do with God. Those areas of your life that you assume have nothing to do with holiness and sacredness, they have everything to do with honoring God. And Jesus is calling us today to come to attention, to realize in these last days, to live our life with the urgency, with one crystal clear mission. In fact, I wanna to read to you what Jesus would say to you this morning in John chapter 20. This is what he says. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
Jesus today turns some tables and gets your attention so that you will hear this. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus calls us today to be sent as he was sent. And how was Jesus sent? Well, when he described his own ministry, this is what Jesus epitomized it through. One phrase, he said, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That there are people who are lost without God, confused, helpless, harassed, tormented by the enemy, living for things that will only bring temporary pleasure, but nothing of eternal glory. And Jesus came for all who were lost to seek them and save them. And so Jesus once again says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And this is where he wants to get your attention today. God is sending you as a missionary. God is sending you as a missionary. Look at the great commission. This is what's known as the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. This is what it says. It says, Jesus told him, I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples or people that learn to follow Jesus. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you to do. Jesus promises that he'll be with us in this cause, but this is the cause. This is the great commission that all of us, not just pastors, are called to go and make disciples. This is our mission, the great commission. And yet for many of us, it's the great omission. Because so many of us, we go throughout our lives and we let so many other things take precedence for us. We forget that God has actually sent us as missionaries into a foreign land, even if it's right across the street. That there are lost and hurting and broken and just wounded by sin people that need the saving power of Jesus Christ and that we are called to be witnesses to him everywhere we go. And maybe the term missionary kind of throws you off because you assume, well, I don't think I could go to Cambodia. I don't really feel like a call there. And student, I want you to know that you may be called to Cambodia, but you're probably more likely gonna be called to your cafeteria. And, and maybe you don't feel called to the Philippines, but I guarantee you God is calling you to your family that you are called to be a missionary everywhere you go into your place of business, into your place of school, of learning, of playing. Wherever you are, you are planted, you are sent by God as someone who is on the very mission of God. You are called to the great commission, not just the professionals, not just the ministers. By the way, every member of God's church is a minister Amen. according to God's definition. We are all called on this mission and God has called us to be a missionary, but I believe in order for us to live on mission, we have to turn some tables. And so once again, it's time to turn the tables, but these are the tables that I think God wants you to turn. There are some tables in our lives that are set up in our courts, so to speak, that distract us from the main thing. There's some things that if we don't get rid of these things, we will never be on mission the way God has called us to live. And so this is the very first table that I believe that God is calling us to turn in our life. And it is the table of distraction. See, this is the table where it's actually not a bad thing. It's just a misprioritized thing. It's a wrongly prioritized thing. It's viewing your work as all about your paycheck instead of realizing that your work is worship. 
It's viewing the place of where you learn as just about getting an education as opposed to understanding that God has sent you there for a purpose. It's the dreams of self-promotion instead of wondering how can I make God's dreams come true. And so distraction in its very nature is distracting. But I believe that God is calling us to live with an urgency and a focus that, do, that gets rid of distraction in our lives. And I know that it's so easy that boredom is like, uh, it's something we don't wanna mess around with at all. And so we, we are constantly on our phones. We're constantly stimulating ourselves. We're constantly on social media. We're doing all kinds of things except doing the thing that God has called us to do when we're distracted. And I believe that God is calling us to say, would you be willing to put some habits into your life? Would you be willing to put some spiritual disciplines in your life that keep you focused on a daily basis? Would you be willing to gather with the people that will do this together? Would you be willing to, as a community of people, not be distracted, maybe even distracted by the wrong agenda? Maybe we have made the political cause our main cause instead of realizing that the missional cause is our main cause that God is calling us to reach people. We have to get rid of the table of distraction. And so I believe God is asking you, will you turn the tables? The second table is the table that I think is a really interesting table because oftentimes we don't see it. It's the table that I like to call the table of distortion. And what does distortion do? It, it changes the way you think, see things. It's not that you don't see things, it's that you see them incorrectly. You see them with a, a distorted view. And I think many of us have a distorted view of the problem. And I think many of us have a distorted view of the solution. Let me explain to you what I mean. I think many of us have a distorted view of the problem because we believe the problem is people. And we think, God, if you would just get rid of these people, if you would just get rid of these political leaders, if you would just get rid of this person at my job, then I would finally be able to do what you've created me to do. But Paul would be very strong in his advice to you. And he would say, look, your problem is not with people. Your battle is not with people. Your struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it is with spiritual forces of darkness. And so if we ever get it twisted and think that a human being is our enemy, then we are going to miss the mission that God has called us to, which is to love them, to serve them, and to be a blessing to them. To reveal to them the glorious nature of who God is. To be a witness to the risen King. We cannot have a distorted view of the problem. We also can't have a distorted view of the solution. Many of us have a distorted view of evangelism in a couple of ways. One, one, if you're younger, if you're my age, younger, if you're a millennial, maybe in Gen Z, one of the things that you've been taught from a very young age is that it is actually a politically, not politically incorrect, it is actually just a morally wrong thing to share your views with someone else when it comes to religion. Now, maybe it's said through this way, through this lens, hey, don't impose your views. And, and that's actually okay. You could never impose your views on someone else. But this idea that it's morally apprehensible or wrong to share your beliefs or what you believe and, and keep them in private, but never bring them into public. This has become so pervasive because we think, oh, we can't be tolerant with one another if we disagree. So we have to just kind of agree on certain things and leave everything else, especially religion, especially God, kind of in the closet. But... I wonder how good do we really believe the good news is? 
Paul said it this way. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Do you believe that the, the gospel that we preach, that if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you believe it is good news that God can take every single person who has been marred and stained by sin and he can transform them through the radical grace? And it goes beyond individuals that God is doing a redemptive work throughout all creation and that we get to be a part of it. And it someday will be, when Jesus returns, it will be completed, it will be fulfilled. All evil and all death and all sadness and all pain and all mourning, it will all disappear in the light of his glorious grace. But man, for now, we get to bring little flashes and we get to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Do you really believe that's good news? Because if it is, then wouldn't you wanna tell people that you love and care about that good news? I mean, I think about this, if I had a friend who was on the train tracks and I saw a train coming, but they didn't, I wouldn't be sitting there like, oh, yeah, well, I believe that train could hurt them, but don't wanna, you know, be, be incorrect here. Don't wanna, you know, impose my beliefs on them, right? No, we would do everything in our power to say, hey, there's something coming that you're not, you're not understanding, you're not seeing. You would do everything in your power to help them know if you really loved them, if you really cared about them. And, and let me just say this, that if we're gonna love the teachings of Jesus when they come to his wisdom and when they come to the way he said, love your neighbor and, and the way he talked about turning the other cheek and we think that's really cool, that's gonna really bring to peace on earth. And I agree with that. I actually think that is the model. But then I think we also need to listen to Jesus when he talked about a very real place called hell. Because Jesus did define that there was this very just real place called hell. Now, if you have a view of hell that is not just, that's not God's hell. God only created hell as a place of justice. And so I will say this, that humans will face one of two fates. They will either face the justice they deserve through their sin, or they will receive mercy that is satisfies justice through Jesus' life and righteousness. So we either receive justice or justice through mercy. But that is the choice. That is what God gives us. And so Jesus tells us that if we really care for people, we will have a desire to share with them. We would never force things on them because God wouldn't do that. But we will let them know that there is a solution. There is a savior. I think it's crazy to me because I think sometimes other people that are not Christians understand this better. Uh, maybe you've heard of Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette, who is a, uh, a magician and he's, you know, does this show, has done it for decades. He's also an atheist, but this is what he had to say. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Why is it that an atheist can believe it more than some of us? that if we really have good news, isn't it good to everybody and they can take it or they can leave it, but isn't it worth them hearing? Paul said, how can people believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And that's why he said, how beautiful are the feet that carry the good news. Now, I also believe there's a distortion when it comes to how we view evangelism in the sense that some of us, we only think about evangelism through the lens of, you know, standing on a street corner with a bullhorn and you know, letting people know, hey, this is, uh, you know, you're all sinners and you need Jesus. And is that true? Yes. Is it evangelism? Yes. Is it effective? Probably not, right? 
And so I think that we have to understand that evangelism is much more like we, we, we've learned about over the last few weeks, that evangelism starts with prayer. It starts with the moments no one sees. It starts with a burden for prayer for people. It starts by listening to them, hearing their story, hearing where they've uh, been in their life. It starts by sharing meals with them and, and having friendship with them, building friendship. It starts by serving others. And yes, it includes sharing your story, sharing the story. But don't, don't have a distorted view of what evangelism is, that it only has to be you standing at your lunch table on your cafeteria and, and standing on there and say, Jesus saves, and everybody thinks this guy's crazy. Now, people might think you're crazy for believing in a God, and that's a totally different subject. But the truth is, if we love people, we're gonna also be wise in how we bring the gospel. We're gonna actually care about blessing people more. How about this? We'll love lost people more than we love lost people getting saved. How about that one? That'll change your life right there. So for all of us, we have this table of distortion. I believe it's time to turn the tables. And here's the final table that I think so many of us set up in our lives. And this is a scary one because this is a table of disobedience. This is the table where God gives us a command. He gives us a mission and yet, we pull a Jonah and we go completely against what God has called us to do. And for many of us, we don't see how holiness fits into our modern Christian life. We feel that maybe Jesus really is the way to eternal life, but his views of morality or the way the Bible teaches morality or, or what it means to be a good person, or maybe just kind of historically, their, their ancient history, they're not really applicable to today. But please understand this, that whenever God commands something, he does it for human flourishing. I'm convinced that every law, every command that you see in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, but as we move into the new covenant even, I believe that God commands things because he longs for humans to experience life the way it was designed to be lived. And there will be moments where we get to experience that and see that, and it makes it easy to be obedient. But then there are moments where there's a tension between what God has commanded us and our understanding of how that's gonna benefit anyone. And in those moments where there's that tension and there's that distance, the question becomes, will you say yes, even if it hurts? Or will you say, no, I'm gonna do things my own way. I will trust my own way or I will trust God's way. And I believe for many of us, disobedience, the way we live our lives, the way that we have not allowed God to fully come into our lives and change the way we view our money or change the way that we view sexuality or change the way that we view loving someone else, the way that we approach our lives has to be shaped and formed by the character of Christ Jesus. And not just our opinion of what we think Jesus would be, but what we tangibly see through God's word. And so for all of us, there are so many areas of our lives. And I'll tell you one area that I have been disobedient many times. And it's one area that Jesus actually talks about in Revelation, but I think it's especially applicable to this topic we're talking about today. And that is the sin or the disobedience of cowardice. Did you know that in Revelation, Jesus marks that as one of the sins that was not very good, <laughs> which is pretty obvious that sin's not good, but Jesus specifically mentions cowardice. And I just have to admit to you that there have been times where I thought I could be a blessing to someone. I could share some good news here. I have an opportunity. There's an open door. And yet instead of advancing in boldness, I retreated in cowardice. Now, trust me when I say this, I know God has grace. 
I know that God can overcome all of our disobedience. That's the whole message of the gospel. We don't work to get to God. But I also believe at some point, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command you to do. So the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more easy it's gonna be for us to do the things he's commanded us to do. So I believe for many of us, the table that we have to turn in our lives is the table of disobedience. It's time to turn the tables. But here's what's so cool about this. I believe if, that, if we're willing to turn some tables in our lives, if we are willing to turn some tables in our areas of distraction or distortion or disobedience, I believe we can turn the tables on the enemy. Because when you have a community of people, a body of Christ that is unified in one purpose and one mission, and maybe it's expressed in different ways, but when you have a group of people who are united behind one banner, there is so many things that God can do. There are so many things that God can do and work in, in places and reaches that we never thought possible. I think of the example of a, of a man who committed a crime and he was facing a 20 year sentence for this crime that he committed. But in, the, in between the time when he committed the crime and when he was going to be sentenced for his crime, he had a radical conversion to Jesus Christ. He, he got a part of this church. He became a part of this church. And when he was at this church, it was such a marked difference in his life that even the prosecuting attorney and the judge, they remarked at how much of a different person he was. And they said, this is a completely different person. He's been transformed by whatever they got going on there but he still committed a crime. So we're not really sure what to do. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give him a short-term prison sentence. And here's what I love about this is that wherever you go, God has sent you. And so the Sunday before this man was about to be put in prison, his church laid hands on him and commissioned him as a missionary to his mission field. And so he went into that prison as someone who was on mission wherever he went. And it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't a ton of social media followers. It wasn't the type of influence that gets you a stage. It was just the type of mission that all of us are called to wherever we are. And there were 110 inmates in this prison. And within one year, 60 of them had converted to follow Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And I say that to remind us that oftentimes where we go it is determined and how, how we succeed where we go is determined by our perspective, right? We are called, not stuck. And so we are called, you are called, you may be an electrician, but you are called to live on mission as an electrician. You may be a nurse and you are called to live on mission as a nurse. You may be a student and you are in one of the most ripe mission fields in all of human history because there is a generation that is growing up without even awareness of who God is. What a beautiful opportunity for you to approach every day through the lens of being a missionary to your high school. I believe that if we can turn some tables, we can turn the tables. Let's pray. God, we humble ourselves and just say that there's been more times we've probably gotten this wrong than we've gotten it right. But you're not looking for perfection. God, you're looking for progress. You're looking for a group of people that are willing to respond to what you're saying to our hearts today. And we put the past behind us. We press on towards what's ahead. Jesus, I thank you for the good 
news of your salvation, that you can not only save us from eternal damnation, but that God, you can save us from ourselves. You can save us in this lifetime. You can save us for all time. Thank you that you wanna come into every situation, to every moment of depression, every moment of anxiety. You wanna be there. You wanna offer your salvation to every depravity, to every addiction. You wanna offer your salvation. God, we thank you that you are a good God who has the power to redeem all that has been lost. May we be a part of it. And I wanna do something that's just a little bit different today. But if you would say, you know what? I I know that God is calling me to the mission field of wherever I am. Maybe you think about your family. Maybe you think about your your place of business. Maybe you think about your place of education and you say, you know what? I believe God is calling me there. I don't even have all the full steps. I wanna encourage you, listen back to the past few messages um, that actually that my dad preached because I think they will be really valuable tools for you as you live out this mission. But if that's you, if you say, you know what? I want to be someone who is called to mission. I wanna actually pray a commissioning prayer for you. Would you just stretch out your hands towards me? And if you stretch out your hands toward me, I'm gonna stretch them right back out. If you're watching online, if you're watching at TCI, but you're feeling the same thing, stretch your hands out. I don't care who's around you. I don't care if your kids are crawling all over, if they're making noise, stretch your hands out. If you're at TCI, if God's calling you right where you are, stretch your hands out. And I wanna pray commissioning prayer that God would bless you in the work that he's created you for. God, I pray for every person. I pray for every person within the sound of my voice, but really within the sound of your voice. I thank you that today that you are inspiring, that today you are creating in them a burden, a passion, something that will keep them up at night, something that will wake them early in the morning, something that will drive them to do all that you've created them to do. I thank you that the best days are ahead, not because there's more financial benefit, there's more, uh, you know, greater retirement benefits, but the best days are ahead because you are gonna uh, help them unlock their purpose. I thank you for every single person here. Give them great effectiveness everywhere where they go. Help them to be people that bless a community. May this city, may this region be blessed because of the people of Believer's Church. God, we are praying that many souls, that many lives would be transformed by the power of the gospel. Lord, send them, anoint them by your spirit, anoint them with your power, clothe them with power from on high that they may be who you've created them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you stay in this attitude of prayer with your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you are here and you say, you know what? This gospel that you're talking about, it's a little bit offensive because it says I'm lost. And I would agree with you. It does say that you need help, but it is only when we can recognize our need for help that we can find our savior. And so I want to encourage you. I want to give you an invitation today to the message of Jesus Christ, which is that I can take you right where you are and I can save you. And all it requires, Jesus said it this way. He said, the only work I require of you is that you believe in the one that God has sent. In other words, Jesus said, the work that makes you right with God is not how much you attend church. It's not how good you are. It's not many people that you serve or how many people you bless. That's all awesome. But the thing that makes you right with God, the work that matters to God is that you believe in the one he has sent, that you believe in Jesus. And if you are someone who God is placing a faith inside of you right now to enter into that belief in Jesus, we're gonna pray a prayer together. The word of God says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you will be saved, that Jesus is Lord, that he was raised from the dead. If you believe that, confess it with your mouth, God will save you. And so we're gonna pray it right now. I don't care if you're watching online. I don't care if you're here in the building. If you have that desire stirring up in you to be saved, to be made right with God, it's only gonna come through Jesus Christ. And I wanna give you an invitation to do it right now. We're gonna pray this prayer together. 
And as you pray, trust that God will save you. He will hear your cry and he will be your savior. Church, would you help me pray this? No one prays alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you're God. You lived a perfect life and you died the death that I was supposed to die. But you were raised to life again so I could have eternal life with you. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that God has been thinking about this moment for a long time. Actually, even before you were born, he's been working your life to get you to this place where you could go on this journey with him. We really believe this is just the beginning, but that God has, he has been consumed with a passion to seek and save you. And when that moment comes, when you've said yes to Jesus, all of heaven goes into celebration because you've been, you've just been on his desires. Talk about God's dreams coming true. You were God's dream coming true. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.